This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. In the half light of a pre dawn morning, a dark skinned man squatted in the courtyard of an Egyptian palace. Close to the Nile, the open air was damp, the sand cool beneath his feet. Sunrise was still an hour or two away, and the night lingered, chilly and dark. All was silent except for the man, now beginning his work. The artisan, a man named Ra Moser, crouched before a shallow dish. A piece of broken pottery nestled in the sand, glowing red. Embers at the centre of the dish were beginning to catch fire. Soon it would be ready. Ramosa stoked the embers, enjoying the warmth as it caressed his skin. He was bare-chested, wearing only a kilt. His task was difficult, and Ramosa did not want to sully his finer clothes unnecessarily. After a while, the fire in the dish began to burn bright and hot. Now the artisan could perform his task. Gently, Ramosa placed a small pot into the flames. It was made of terracotta, a ceramic jug of a deep red-brown, its base blackened from many fires. Within its depths, the pot contained a measure of oil, possibly moringa or cedar, which Ramosa knew as ash or bark, respectively. The oil was the highest quality, and it glimmered darkly in the growing light of dawn. Swirling the oil, Ramosa judged the moment when it was ready. When the oil had heated just right, Ramosa added a lump of fat. This was prepared earlier, a fat mixed with a variety of ingredients like honey, myrrh, incense, or fenugreek. When heated, the fat would melt, mingling with the oil, and together the ingredients would form a perfume. Working quickly, Ramosa mixed the oil with the fat, watching closely to make sure the mixture did not burn. When he judged it ready, Ramosa took the pot from the flames and poured its new contents into an open-topped vessel. This was a far nicer piece than the cooking dish, a deep blue decorated with bright yellow patterns and tapering at the top like a teardrop. Ramosa swirled the pot, hearing the contents mixing inside. When he judged it right, he placed a lid over the vessel, stamped out the small fire, and then left the courtyard. He was heading for the palace's inner halls. Light crept over the roofs as Ramosa entered the secluded rooms of the palace. Within a few moments, the perfume maker had made his way to a discreet washing chamber. There, he cleaned himself off, wiping away sweat from the heat of his work. An attendant came to perfect Ramos's nails, his hair and body, before rubbing him down with exfoliants and perfumes of his own. Soon, the oil maker was neat and presentable, the model of a top-tier servant. He was ready to deliver his goods. Ramosa carried the jar of fresh perfume through the palace. He passed thresholds and gateways, admitted entrance to the secluded rooms of the royal apartments. He was entering the house of a princess. 
You see, Ramosa was the heater of oil of the house of Merit Aten. He served the pharaoh's eldest daughter and prepared her perfumes. Ramosa entered the princess's apartments and bowed low to the lady of his house. Respectfully, carefully, he offered up the jar of fresh perfume, and as a body servant took the vessel from him, Ramosa offered his compliments to the daughter of the king. Merit Aten herself was busy. Her personal servants, manicurists, hairdressers, and so forth, were hard at work on her daily routine. It was a whole show. If the princess of Egypt acknowledged Ramosa, it was probably only for a moment. Then she disappeared behind the flurry of attendants. Ramosa observed as a servant lifted the lid from the pot, and the sweet smell of perfume filled the air. The princess sniffed smiled and nodded, and the servant began applying the fresh ointment to her body. At the door, Ramosa bowed again, said his words of parting, and left. Behind him, the room filled with the beautiful scent, and another day began in the palace. Hello everyone, and welcome back to the History of Egypt podcast. Episode 125 the House of Merit Aten. Today, we return to Egypt to experience some daily life in Akhenaten city. Akhet Aten, the horizon of Aten, was home to many people with many stories to tell. In this episode, we get to grips with someone quite prominent, the pharaoh's eldest daughter, Merit Aten. This episode was brought to you by Elaine, George, and Rodney, who donated generously to the podcast. Folks, your support is greatly appreciated. You help keep the workflow going and keep me from being homeless. For your generosity, I thank you. And to everyone listening, thank you very much for joining me. I hope you enjoy the show. Oh, one more thing. This episode is full of art, architecture, and archaeological details. To keep it all clear, there are a bunch of images on the podcast website, illustrating the various buildings and statues that I'm going to talk about. If you would like that extra layer of imagery, visit EgyptianHistoryPodcast.com to see Merit Aten and her palace in all of its glory. The year was approximately 1351 BCE. Regnal year 12, under the king of Upper and Lower Egypt, the son of Ra, Akhenaten. Pharaoh was approximately 30 years old, maybe. His daughter was coming up on 10. The princess Merit Aten, aka Beloved of Aten, was always a prominent member of her father's court. Pharaoh's firstborn, Merit Aten, appeared front and centre among the royal children. Her face adorned temples and stelae, and the princess stood alongside her parents in many public scenes. In terms of art, Merit Aten was central to her family's image. But what about her personal life? Where did Merit Aten grow up? And when she matured, what kind of life did she live? Today, we begin to answer some of these questions. The princess was probably born around regnal year 2 or 3, not long after her mother, Nefertiti, appears on the scene. Apparently, the birth of Merit Aten was reported far and wide. 
and we actually have evidence that other kings sent messages to congratulate Akhenaten on the birth. Letters recovered from Amana testify to how other rulers responded to the news that the pharaoh had successfully produced a child. One of these letters came from no less a person than the king of Babylon. His name was Bura Buryash, and soon after Merit Aten's birth, he sent a letter. This message said, quote, To Napkurareya, king of the land of Egypt, Thus speaks Bura Buryash, king of the land of Karduniash, a.k.a. Babylon. With me, all is well. With you, with your house, with your wives, your sons, with your senior officials, your infantry, your chariotry, with your horses and with your land, may all be very well. I send as your greeting gift two measures of lapis lazuli. And for your daughter Mayati, having just heard about her, I send a greeting gift to her as well. A necklace of gems shaped like crickets, made of lapis lazuli, and numbering 1,048 in total. End quote. 2,000 kilometers away, roughly speaking, the ruler of Karduniash, Babylon, heard about the pharaoh's new daughter. To strengthen his relationship with Egypt, Bura Buryash sent a gift for the little baby. Apparently, he dispatched a necklace of high-quality gems carved like insects. You can imagine the little girl chewing on the beads with milky gums, or perhaps wearing it properly as she grew older. Clad in foreign goods, the young Merit Aten may have been the very picture of a cosmopolitan princess. There is one interesting thing about this letter. The king of Babylon, writing in Akkadian, referred to Merit Aten as Mayati. This name appears in other letters from the archives, and it seems to be the Akkadian rendition of Merit Aten. Then again, Mayati might also be close to the actual pronunciation. Sharp-eared listeners will have noticed that Yati is quite close to what we think may have been the pronunciation for Aten. Based on studies of late Egyptian and the modern Coptic language, scholars suggest that the pharaoh's name, Ak-en-Aten, was probably pronounced Ak-an-Yati. Yati, in this case, would be the sun god. Adapting that to the name Merit-Aten, we may have a pronunciation closer to Meriyati, or simply Mayati. At the time that Akhenaten ruled, the Egyptian spoken language was showing a distinct shift in the pronunciation of certain sounds. The R sound was moving closer to an A or an E, and the T, as in merit, was beginning to drop off from certain words. With that in mind, it is quite possible that Mayati is not that different from the actual pronunciation. We call her Merit Aten because that is how it is spelled in hieroglyphics, but the spoken language was shifting slowly, and it's possible the princess would have responded more easily to a name like Mayati. It's an interesting situation, and an example of how the formal public language of the pharaohs differed in some respects from how they actually spoke. By regnal year 12, 1351 BCE, the eldest daughter of Pharaoh was approximately 10 years old. 
she appeared with her parents at the grand festival of tribute, when soldiers and officials of the empire dragged prisoners and gifts before the thrones of Egypt. Delegations, willing or unwilling, brought tribute to the pharaoh, the ruler of all horizons, and Merit Aten, standing beside her father's throne, watched as the splendor of Egypt's empire went on display. What was that like for a ten-year-old child? Was she amazed at the power that her family commanded, or was she blasé, bored of the interminable state affairs? We may never know, but the festival of tribute was surely one of the more prominent events in her life. Besides the grand festival, there are many artistic pieces that show Merit Aten and her sisters. Statues and two-dimensional carvings reveal some of the ways that Merit Aten and her family presented themselves to the public. In one scene, we see Merit Aten sitting behind the king and queen, as they lean out of the royal window, dispensing gifts on an official below. In this image, the other princesses, Merit Aten's sisters, are absent, so it's just the two parents and their eldest daughter. Apparently, Merit Aten was having a special moment. Merit Aten appears in this scene as a young girl, with a lock of hair hanging down one side of her head. She stands beside Nefertiti, the queen, who turns away from the ceremony in order to put an arm around her daughter. These touches of affection, of intimacy within the royal family, are extremely common to Amana art. But Merit Aten often seems like the central figure of her parents' affections. I hope her sisters didn't resent that. Anyway, besides the formal public scenes, we also have more informal pictures as well. A stone block, now in the Cairo Museum, shows an anonymous princess sitting on a cushion eating a roast bird. The child has a lock of long hair, which we often see on the royal daughters, and she sits with her legs tucked together to one side. In her right hand, this princess holds a bird up to her lips. The other reaches out to pluck fruit from a small table beside her. It's an image of comfort and luxury, and it is quite a lovely piece, especially because it is incomplete. The stone carving is either a practice sketch or an unfinished piece of work. We can tell this because the princess's body is carved, but her arms and hair are not. In some parts, lines of black ink show where the sculptor intended to chisel, but never got around to doing the carving. Perhaps the carver gave up and moved on to a different piece, or perhaps this was a test, a practice for a more elaborate scene. Either way, it's great. I like this image so much that I've used it for the episode logo. You can see a high-resolution version on the podcast website. Merit Aten is extremely prominent in the two-dimensional art, but a bit less so in sculpture. We have plenty of statues relating to the Amana princesses, but unfortunately, most of them lack texts or identification marks, so it can be hard to figure out who a particular statue depicts. If the head shows a princess, which princess is it? This makes it challenging, but if we look at these statues overall, perhaps we can get a sense of how Pharaoh's artists wanted to convey the royal daughters. One statue that I particularly like is a small piece in the Cairo Museum. It is unfinished, but the outline is there. 
This statue shows a princess, probably married Aten, sitting on the pharaoh's lap. Akhenaten holds his daughter on his knee and he leans forward to kiss her face. The pair sit on a lovely chair, which is partly finished, and the king rests one hand on his daughter's back. It's an affectionate scene, quite similar to the other ones that I have discussed. Whoever this girl is, she clearly has a close relationship with her father. The other famous examples of statues from this time period are a collection of heads. That might sound gruesome, but bear with me. The princess heads belong to statues that were built in sections. There was one block of stone for the legs, another for the torso and arms, and then one for the head, and so forth. These statues are called composite statues, and different parts were often made of different stones. The composite statues have turned up in many excavations at Amana, and as you can imagine, they are quite popular for museum collections. So, the princesses of Amana are regular guests in any book about Amana art. They also share a few interesting traits. The princess statues from Amana tend to have long necks marked with lines or wrinkles. They also have prominent chins, flat and smooth, just like their father, although not quite as extreme as Akhenaten's. Their noses are broad, with an upward curve at the tip. Their eyes are wide, almond-shaped, with long creases at the corners for lines of makeup. The eyes themselves are usually hollow, empty sockets intended to hold glass or stone that would simulate more lifelike features. If you think of the famous Nefertiti bust, with its eyes made of glass and stone, you get the idea of what the princess statues were supposed to look like. Two-dimensional art shows Merit Aten's prominence, and three-dimensional sculpture captures some ideas around the visual iconography of the royal family. But unlike her sisters, Merit Aten's importance was not limited to artistic representation. The eldest daughter of Pharaoh also had her own monuments. You see, traces of Merit Aten crop up in architecture as well, and some of these monuments were actually outside the capital. Mother's Day is just around the corner, and it's time to pamper the special mom in your life. And what better way than with the Osea's limited edition skincare sets, featuring clean, vegan, cruelty-free products that are safe for your skin and the planet. Osea is a women-founded, women-led brand that's been making seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. This Mother's Day, Osea has two limited edition sets that are perfect for gifting or keeping for yourself. Their advanced eye care duo brightens, awakens, and firms the skin around your eyes, while the golden glow body trio nourishes and smooths the skin all over. Both sets are packaged in giftable boxes. They're so beautiful you can skip the wrapping. And the best part? For a limited time, you can save up to $46 on Osea's sets. Plus, get free shipping. That's Mother's Day made easy. This Mother's Day, get 10% off your first order site-wide with code MOM at OseaMalibu.com. Go to OseaMalibu.com and use code MOM for 10% off site-wide. If you go to the University of Pennsylvania Museum, you will find a tall block of stone dating to the reign of Akhenaten. The block is decorated with several scenes, most of which show variations on the same theme. Akhenaten and Merit Aten make offerings to the sun god. The pharaoh is front and center, as usual, and Merit Aten stands behind him. 
The princess usually holds a sistrum, the sashashet rattle, generally associated with Hathor, and the king holds up a variety of objects, including incense burners and symbolic cartouches with the names of the Aten inside. Above the pair, the sun god shines down, receiving the gifts of the living. It's a relatively simple set of decorations, nothing too complicated, but it is pretty, and you can see a reconstruction on the podcast website. This block seems to belong to a small shrine, one that was devoted to Merit Aten and located in the city of Heliopolis. We know almost nothing about this temple, other than the fact that it was called, quote, the sunshade of the king's daughter of his body, Merit Aten, in the house of Wa En Ra. End quote. The house of Wa En Ra refers to Akhenaten, since the second part of his name was Wa En Ra, Ra's one and only. The shrine itself, though, seems to belong to Merit Aten, and it's possible that there was a large temple at the city of Heliopolis which Akhenaten built. Unfortunately, this is mostly hypothetical, because Heliopolis is almost totally destroyed. So we can't say much more, but it's an interesting idea. At Amana, there are two monuments associated with the princess. In the southern part of the city, an open-air temple called the Maru Aten provided a sort of pleasure resort devoted to the sun god. Artistic scenes and inscriptions from the Maru Aten suggest that Merit Aten became its owner later in her life. It wasn't built for her exactly, Merit Aten replaced an earlier woman, but that is a story for another day. The other monument that is significant for her is a palace. Two and a half kilometres north of the central city, a magnificent structure marks the elaborate home of Merit Aten. It's called the North Palace, and like the Maru Aten to the south, it belonged to Merit Aten during her teenage years. Merit Aten's palace, her house and home, is a massive building. It covers about 17,000 square metres, and it featured courtyards, shrines, gardens, and leisure areas. There were kitchens, workshops, and administrative areas. There was a throne room, a hidden pool, and possibly a menagerie of animals. By any standard, the North Palace was grand, a beautiful combination of architecture, domestic planning, and art. Originally, I wanted to do a full-scale tour of the North Palace and the Maru Aten, but it wasn't flowing in the structure of this episode. So I've bundled those descriptions into episode 125b, which we'll release very soon. If you are interested in learning more about those monuments, keep an ear out for guided tours of the princess's great residence. For now, it's time to bring this little episode to a close. The house of Merit Aten, in its literal and figurative sense, was a luxurious, well-appointed one. The eldest daughter of Pharaoh had great wealth at her command, especially as she transitioned from child to woman. By the time she started puberty, the princess of Aket Aten was gaining prominence rapidly, and we see this reflected in the archaeology of her home, her shrines, and her garden palaces. The Maru Aten, the North Palace, and the artistic fragments which record her existence point us to a woman living at the very heart of Egypt's political hierarchy.
So, by Regnor Year 12, Merit Aten was gaining in prominence. And soon, she would take a very big step, coming to the forefront of Egyptian political life. The princess in her palace was about to get a husband, and they would become co-rulers to Akhenaten and Nefertiti. But before that could happen, the royal household would have to endure some tragedies. That is episode 126, Two Funerals and a Wedding, coming very soon. Thank you for listening to the History of Egypt podcast. Patrons at the Overseer and Higher tier can stick around for an extra epilogue where we delve deeper into the princess statues I discussed earlier. Also, I'd especially like to thank Linda, Neil, Ellen and Terry for being my priest-level supporters on Patreon. Like all Egyptian priests, their gifts help the words flow, although in this case they are mortal words. Ellen, Terry, Neil, and Linda, thank you very much. You are too kind. May the Aten keep you healthy and happy, and I will see you all very soon. mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.